If you're an entrepreneur in 2020, here is one author and six books that you need to read that will take you to the next level. I got a chance to interview Mike Michalowicz, best-selling author, incredible guy. Check this interview out. I've spent the last five years learning from the most brilliant entrepreneurs today, and now I've left my nine to five to take the plunge and build a million-dollar business. The real question is what does it take to become a successful entrepreneur and create financial freedom? This podcast is here to give you the answer. Join me and follow along as I learn, apply, and share insights from world-class entrepreneurs to grow my online business and create a community of raving fans. My name is Brenda McCauley, and this is Growing Entrepreneur. Guys, I'm super excited because we have the pleasure of getting Mike McCallowitz. Uh, guys, if you don't know who this gentleman is, he is a full-time entrepreneur, super, super successful, has written five uh, incredible books, changing my life, changing entrepreneurial lives just like yours, has one coming up soon. Mike, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. Truly appreciate it. Yeah, I'm happy we're able to pull this off. Thanks for having me mm-hmm. on, Brendan. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so let's get right into it, Mike. You know, so somebody says, "Hey, who is Mike McCallowitz?" Just, just tell us a little bit about yourself. What, what are you about? Yeah, um, depends who you ask. Yes, my wife. He's like, uh, should speak. She, he's kind of a weirdo, is what she would say. Perfect. Um, you ask, uh, <laughs> you ask other entrepreneurs, and I'm probably most recognized for my authorship work. But uh, my background is I'm an entrepreneur for my entire life. Ever since I graduated college, I've been running businesses. I've had the good fortune of building and selling two companies and a private equity exit on my first business. It was in the tech space. Second, awesome. Yeah, it was cool. My second company, I sold to a Fortune 500, which was cooler. Mm-hmm. Um, but I th- those are kind of CV type bullet points. I-, I think the real interesting story, quite frankly, is, is the struggles. Uh, growing those businesses, they were not successful. From the outside, they looked successful, but they weren't profitable. I struggled. And yes, I made money when I sold them, mm-hmm. but I didn't understand the discipline of a true healthy business. And my third venture, which I conveniently exclude from my CV, <laughs> I, uh, was a, uh, yeah, a uh, angel investing firm. I used my own money, started these different businesses. Mm-hmm. I had no right to be in that space. I was full of arrogance and ignorance, which is a deadly combination. I say that makes a hell of a combo. Yeah, it's, it's horrible. And so I lost all my wealth. Um, I was a millionaire in my early 30s, self-made, and I lost it all within two years and had to restart. And um, wow. came to realize it's just, that combination is deadly, arrogance and ignorance. Mm-hmm. And um, so I became an author. I became an author to, in part, address, actually mostly to fix my own erroneous ways and try to figure out systems that would drive my businesses forward um, and make it easier for me. And I found out that a lot of stuff I was writing would actually serve other entrepreneurs. And that's when I decided to devote my life to being an author first and foremost. I love it. Well, so, okay. So, and, and you look like a young guy. You're what, 33, 34? Yeah, if, you, know, <laughs> you kidding? Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. No, I'm like almost 50, but I do appreciate that. That's funny. Okay. That felt well, so, well it, it's, the funny part is, is like in all your pictures, and I've looked at a couple of your different books and, you know, the Facebook site. So, you know, you have your one very distinct look on you. Um, but so you're talking to a guy who just turned 31 and nice. my, my goal is to be basically at that same spot that you were. Uh, so, I mean, you had this desire to be an entrepreneur. Was it just, was it a, a not fit into the nine to five? Like what, you know, for the, the person who doesn't know you and obviously you tell us in your books, what was the entrepreneurial spark that said, this is what I want to do? Yeah. So um, it was weird. My start to become an entrepreneur was uh, I never expected that. When I, when I graduated college, uh, the expectation from my 
parents was, oh, you, you get a one-time job for the rest of your life. You mm-hmm. work there for a corporation and the corporation will care for you. And it made sense because that's the generation my parents grew up in. But I tried to get the one job out of school. I couldn't get it. Um, I had no entrepreneurial aspirations. Mm-hmm. So I, I started working at a computer store because that's all I could get. And uh, I'll never forget this. I went out one night with another guy that worked at the computer store and we started throwing back some beers and I'm like, you know, this guy who owns the business, he's a jerk. And all he does is sit in the back room counting the money that we're making for him. Mm-hmm. I'm working my ass off. And, you know, you throw back a couple pops and you start getting a little bit like, you know, slurry. And I, like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, right, 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 exactly. <laughs> and like liquid courage by, by beer number like five or six. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, screw this. I'm starting my own business. Mm-hmm. That guy's a jerk. And I left this slurry drunk message for the boss. Oh, God. Quit. Yeah, like an idiot. And I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kick your ass. You're, you're oh, you it. threw that in there? <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't tell this exact word. We're pretty close. Okay. And uh, the next morning, I was like hung over, and I, I came to work anyway. And I told him, I said, uh, I'm so sorry. I was drunk. I didn't mean it. And he goes, You're fired. Just get the hell out of here. Oh. I'll, t- I'll tell you one thing. He goes, uh, You try to compete with me, I will crush you. And um, wow, challenge accepted. My, yeah, that's how I started my first business. Which I love it. It's called burning the bridges. I don't recommend it to anybody. Do not drink your way into a first business, but that's how I did it. Okay. And this is what? I mean, that was your what? Late, late 20s, early? That's yeah, the no, early 20s. So I started my first company. I was 23. Um, Damn, you started young. Yeah, I graduated college when I was 21. I worked for two years uh, mm-hmm. for this computer company. And then 23, I was like, I'm on my own. And so I've been an entrepreneur for almost 25 years now. Okay. So, so pretty much your, your books are a, uh, a complete collection of just the ups and downs and the whole roller coasters. Yeah. And it's not, listen, it's bits of my stories, but I think more importantly, it's, I research out tons of companies. It's a lot of other entrepreneurial stories. And what I try to look for is a common thread. Mm-hmm. So with profitability, uh, for example, the vast majority of businesses in this world, even though they brag about the top line are not profitable. Right. So I try to find the common thread that drives profit and same with all my books. You know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hearsay and talk about how successful businesses are, but when you peel back the onion, uh, these entrepreneurs that say they're living a lavish life and can do what they want, they're working their butts off and not making money, mm-hmm. um, and is the reality. So, so, you know, you're rocking this entrepreneurial lifestyle and you're talking to a lot of guys that are doing the same thing. What for you was the most challenging part of being an entrepreneur and, and to keep going? I guess the most challenging part is, um, well, is the transition from fear to confidence. So what I found is that when I start a business, it's true for every business I start, is it's fraught with fear. And initially I'm like, I got to be tough and, you know, no fear mm-hmm. through it. And then I realized, no, you know what? The reality is I need to brace fear because it, it brings an energy that I wouldn't have otherwise. I could wake up at the butt crack of morning mm-hmm. and work until the, the wee hours of the night because I was just scared of how am I going to feed myself and my family. By the way, I had a family at 23 too, a wife and a child. Okay. So, you know, I had a lot of responsibility. Now we have, my wife and I have three children and so the responsibility just has grown. And um, uh, I just had to, to feed everybody. So panic and fear drove me. The thing I realized though is there's a certain point, Brendan, where if you are driven by fear, it becomes so stressful that it'll start affecting your health. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember the stress of feeling that my chest compressing and so forth. So fear needs to transfer to confidence. And what confidence is, is the realization that I, I can bring and did bring stability in sales to my business, stability and profit. And then once you achieve confidence saying, okay, I got this figured out and, and are able to 
you know, replicate and amplify what's working. Mm-hmm. The final stage is, uh, is aspirational. And it's like, okay, now I really have this figured out. How can I change the world? How can I be of great impact? Sure. But we got to leverage that fear in the beginning. No, t- I completely agree with you. So uh, funny story. The, I remember the one day I walked in and I, I was working for a corporate healthcare company for about 10 years. Right. And I just, for the past like three years prior, every day you walk in, you're like, I don't want to do this, but I know I have to and blah, blah, blah. So it was, it was that transition. I talked to my girl the night before. I said, babe, I want to cash in my 401k. Yeah. I, want to, I want to do my own entrepreneurial thing. She's like, okay, I totally got you. <laughs> so yeah. literally walked into the boss's office the next day and said, uh, you know, uh, X, Y, Z, thank you so much. I appreciate all the years, but uh, here's, my, here's my three months notice. You know, enough wow. for them to kind of make that transition. Yeah, yeah. I'm sitting, and, and I will say over the course of an entire week, I people coming in and saying, you know what, you, you can still go back if you want. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, we'll, we'll still have a job position for you, the whole nine yards. Do you have something set up? Blah, blah, blah. I was like, look, I got enough contacts. We're going to make this happen. Uh, and now it's two years later and I'm working for a company soon to go public on, uh, on the Canadian Securities Exchange and similar to what you're doing. So it was the scariest and the most rewarding thing I've ever yeah, done yeah. in my life. Yeah. And I suspect if you didn't do that and if I didn't do what I did, that it's a life then of regret. I mean, there is no promise it's going to work out. And, and honestly, for most entrepreneurs, it, it is a fraught with failure and it doesn't work out. But I'll tell you, starting a business and attempting to build a business, succeed or fail, the fact that you had the courage to do it is, I think, the most superhero-like thing we can do. I appreciate it, man. It was so, so, all right, you had your shiny moment when I called you 30. That's my shiny moment. For the right, right. <laughs> um, all right, awesome. So I'll tell you what, I want to, I want to dig into your books a little bit. So yeah. the first one that you wrote back, uh, I think it was 2008, was the Toilet Paper Entrepreneur. Yeah. And, uh, and the concept was really, you know, get rid of the business plan, talk about your resources and take massive action. So give us like a 30 second synopsis of what brought that. Yeah. So what I realized um, was that it's the lack of resources that can be advantageous. So most people, as an example, business plan is something that we're told to develop. And and I just noticed the ridiculousness of that effort to prepare this document that plans out the next five years of our business and has, you know, financial projections, mm-hmm. which are total, they're total bullshit. Because if you look at most business plans, they are so far from the truth. And honestly, if you can predict the financials for a company that doesn't exist yet and how it's going to perform for five years, mm-hmm. you, you could pick the stock market and determine how it's going to perform for one day, which will make you a billionaire. Mm-hmm. So it is not, it's not realistic by any stretch of the imagination. But also, I noticed that many entrepreneurs thought that to start a business, they needed tons of experience. They wanted mm-hmm. to get that under their belt before they move into it. I found it's actually the lack of that resource, the lack of experience actually drives innovation and out-of-the-box thinking. It was a lack of contacts and friends who are willing to buy your stuff that forced you to learn how to sell to strangers. So it was always a lack that spawned innovation and, uh, and pursuit of a vision. It was when we had you know, money and contacts and so forth that businesses actually got a slower or struggling start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of the, it's that concept of never stop doing what made you successful in the first place. Right? Yeah, so you see guys on like this meteoric rise, and they're like, oh, we're doing great, and then it just kind of teeters off, and then, uh, you know, hopefully doesn't eventually die, but uh, you know, starts lacking lacking a bit. Yeah, and it's funny, you know, when when I saw businesses starting with money, um, they would burn through that cash so quickly. Oh, I need that expensive logo designed. We need the nice office furniture to impress mm-hmm. our clients. It's when we had no money, example, as an example, for a resource, then it's like, how do we still pull this off with no money? And they start thinking innovatively. And the best businesses are the innovative businesses. Right. 
No, completely. Um, so, and then that, I, you know, I think goes into your second book, which is in 2012, you wound up writing the pumpkin plan. So that was yeah. all about, you know, taking that one business and just making this thing, you know, make it the right seed, grow it as large yeah. as possible, weed out the losers and nurture the winners. Yeah, that's exactly it. So I studied, uh, of all things, colossal pumpkin farmers. <laughs> that was a great analogy, by the way. Yeah, it was, it was crazy, but it was, it was the reality. I, I hired my first business coach. And he's like, let's hit the fields. And um, here's what I found is there's a lot of truth held by nature. And if we simply study what nature's doing, we can replicate it in our businesses and our lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, specifically, what was interesting about these pumpkin farmers, these colossal guys, they were able to grow these massive pumpkins by changing the growing process of an ordinary pumpkin just by a few percentage points. They, they do this here and th- that there, but it wasn't significantly different. But those few elements resulted in this explosive growth. So I translated that back to business and I found that colossal, healthy, colossal businesses are changing the growing process, if you will, of the business just by a few elements. And uh, <clears throat> a couple of the elements is like one concept is called seed selection. Mm-hmm. Seed selection is where you got to pick a seed that matches your environment. It matches the soil. It matches the, the weather conditions. And it's optimized to grow for that condition. You know, many businesses don't. Many businesses just say, hey, uh, I have an idea. Let me see how it goes. And they, they just let it. it. They just wing it. Wing it. Wing it. And they're like, why isn't it working? Well, that's like planting a seed in concrete. Like, it's probably not going to take root. So what we need to do, and, and there's a whole Venn diagram I prepared for this, but we got to actually look at what makes us truly unique, but look at the community that resonates with that uniqueness and find ways to systematize it. And that, that's a good seed element when you consider all three of those elements. Mm-hmm. I also talked about another concept I call client cloning. And any business can do this, but so few do, is you look at your client list and determine who are the true best clients. They pay you the most. They're very profitable. You enjoy working with them. You circle those customers and say, I want to clone them. And then what you do is you simply ask them, where do you congregate? Because birds of a feather flock together. Sure. Ask your best customers where they, what podcasts they listen to, probably yours, right? But, <laughs> but what, you know, what events they go to. And if you start appearing there as a guest on the show or you mm-hmm. appear at the events, now that community starts seeing you over and over again and inherently trust builds and you start winning over more clients like your best client. I love it. Yeah. I mean, definitely a great tip and something that's so easy to do that's so easy also not to do. Right. right. So, right. So it just kind of sits there. Yeah. Um, all right. So from 2008 to 2012, you write these couple books and then two years later you come out with this book, which here's, here's the ironic part. Last week, uh, the gentleman, Paul Ace, I met him through a, a group on Facebook and he does bots and he does automation. And uh, right. we got to a great conversation, a young entrepreneur, the kind of guys, you know, we're trying to help out with. Um, and he goes, well, you know, you have your own personal financial model, what's your business model look like? And I said, well, I was looking for a financial business plan. He says, dude, you've got to check out this book, Profit First. It oh, awesome. It's got to change, you know, it's going to change your life. So uh, I said, awesome. You know, I'll tell you what, I want to put your course online because he does a bunch of coursework. Uh, and then, cool. you know, tell me about this, this book. So I look and it says Mike McCallowitz. So of course, obviously I'm like, you know what? I'm going balls to the walls. I'm getting this guy on the podcast. I want to read everything awesome. he's got. And uh, so I had the podcast with him last week. I was like, do you know who I've got on next week? He's like, no way. <laughs> no way. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, yeah, it was really cool. And I, uh, I read The Profit First. I actually went to get a Profit First professional. Um, so oh, awesome. this business that I'm working on the side, in addition to this cannabis, is really taking everything that you have laid out yeah. and setting a solid groundwork foundation. And, and the funny part is when I started speaking to her, the, uh, the PFP, um, can I, can I give a shout out to her? Just yeah, who is it? 
Uh, Shayna Woods. Yeah. Oh, I know Shayna very well. That's awesome. Yeah. She's so, fantastic. And I think she specializes in the cannabis market, if I recall correctly. Uh, she also does uh, like online courses and content. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Her and her purple hair. I know that. <laughs> yeah. So she's phenomenal. And uh, anyways, we first had the conversation. She's like, Brendan, if I would have implemented what I learned in Profit First back when she was my age, it would have made all the difference in the world. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. you know, so give us the idea. Like, you know, we hear about profit first. What is that? Yeah. So the traditional formula for profitability is actually profit last. Now we don't use those terms, but the traditional formula is sales minus expenses equals profit. And the vernacular, the terms we use, we say, well, profit's the bottom line or the year end. Everything is indicating profit's the last consideration. And when profit comes last, it means it can wait. It's like, you would never, you would never say, you know what? Uh, I'm really concerned about my health. So starting today, I'm going to put my health last. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, my family, I really love them. That's why I put them last. Those terms means they can wait. It can get disregarded. It's the manana syndrome. Mm -hmm. What comes first, though, is priority. So I would say I put my health first. I put my family first. And yet profit historically has been last. So in this formula, instead of sales minus expenses equals profit, what we do in profit first is we flip it and make it sales minus profit equals expenses. Mm -hmm. In practice, the essence of it is every time we have a transaction in our business, immediately take a predetermined percentage of profit we want, allocate it accordingly, meaning take that money out, hide it away, and run your business off the remainder. That's the essence of profit first. Awesome. Yeah. And, and ultimately it comes down to, I mean, you have your five accounts, right? And this is yep. what I've, this was, I've already established for my business. So you have your profit account first yep. and foremost, uh, your owner's pay, because at the end right. of the day, it's nice to actually get paid when you got to be paid. Yeah. Um, your taxes, which likes to sneak up on everybody. And they're like, holy shit, I got no money for taxes. Yeah. Uh, the operating income and then your revenue. So those yep, are your exactly. that's it. That's the five accounts. Yeah. So, and so what happens is that revenue account, or some people call it the income account, money flows into that and it simply acts as a serving tray. Like I think of Thanksgiving dinner, like we actually host it here at our house. I'm actually in my home office right now. And, okay. and uh, what happens is like we pull the turkey out and then we don't tell the guests at the table, hey, everyone, grab your knife and fork, fight for it. Everyone for themselves. <laughs> of course not. Well, I, I do the carving of the turkey. And mm -hmm. why we do it is so we can apportion a piece of the turkey to every single plate. And that's the idea in our business. When we have a single account, and most businesses start off this way, all the cash turkey, if you will, piles up in that one account. And then we're like, oh, to the business, just stab in whenever you need it. Mm -hmm. I need computer equipment, whatever the urgent financial need is, we look at that one cash turkey and say that can feed all of it, but it has so many responsibilities. And then we, the next day when all that money is depleted, we're like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot payroll or I can't pay myself again. Mm -hmm. So in this method, money flows into that income account. We then carve it up. A portion goes to profit, a portion goes to owner's pay and taxes and operating expenses. Now with that money carved up, you look at these accounts and you can you know, give them the nicknames accordingly. You look at these accounts and say, okay, this is what I truly have for operating expenses. You know, a thousand bucks come in. You don't have a thousand dollars to operate your business. After carving up, you may say, "Oh my gosh, I have three hundred dollars to operate my business." Mm -hmm. But I also have a hundred dollars of profit. I've paid myself four hundred bucks, and taxes are taken care of. Yeah, so you just tick and tie everything, and then you're yeah. not in full blown panic mode when you owe X Y Z or your machine breaks down or you know right. you got to pay people or what have you. Right. It's kind of like there, there was this old system called the envelope system. It's, it's, it's based upon the envelope system. Mm -hmm. And uh, my, I, mother, my, my mom did the same thing. <laughs> oh, your mom too. Okay. So yeah. mom, mom's kind of rule. Uh -huh. So my mom did it. She worked at the factory down the road from here. And what she would do is she would uh, carve up her money. So she would get a, say a hundred dollars pay or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. She would based on percentages, put in different envelopes, the mortgage, the food envelope, the mm -hmm. church. She put in these different envelopes. When she went food shopping, she'd grab the food envelope and drive to the food store and she'd work with the money that was there. 
Now, the interesting thing is she had volatile income. Over time, more money, sick, less money. And that's true for businesses. There's this volatile income. Mm -hmm. But since the percentages are static, it's always the same slice of either a big pie or small pie. Then when she went food shopping, if it was less money in there because she was sick that week or whatever, it would be, you know, a very meager meal. If it was, um, if she had a lot of money in there, then it was, you know, some, some good stuff. So that's how we have to operate too. The business will adjust to the actual income flow, but it will speak to us what we truly have to spend for, you know, the equivalent of food for the business, the operating expenses. Sure. Yeah, and, and the, the one basic thing, so my mom was a CFO for X number of years and then she turned into awesome. a CEO and the, the whole nine yards. Yeah. Um, and I've actually now been able to take that same principle of basically of what you teach and, and a couple other lessons. They have more of a, a jar system where they yeah. yep. notate the percentage on it every Sunday. You got your list of chores. You get paid on that. Yep. They pay us a rent of $2 per week and then yep. you, know, you can do whatever else you want. I love it. It's yeah. such a powerful system because the thing is it works with human nature. When, when I tell people about the system, Brendan, they're like, oh, I get it. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to do it on a spreadsheet or I'm going to do it in my accounting system. Mm-hmm. That's why I shake my head and say, you're, you're done. It's not going to work. First of all, if you try to do this in your accounting system, realize the accounting system already has it. It's called a chart of accounts. It divides up all the different elements of your business. So it's already all tracked. And if, if you already have that, are you profitable? And most business owners say, no. So that's not working. And doing a spreadsheet, a spreadsheet is just another version of an accounting system. Mm-hmm. We have to intercept our natural behavioral path. That's the key. If it is the behavior of an entrepreneur to log into their bank account to see how much money's there, that means the system has to be at the bank. So that's carved up there. So when you log in, you see actually how much money is truly available. So you sure. can't circumvent this. It has to be visual. Just like those jars at your house, very visual. You see where the money's carved up. By mm-hmm. setting up at the bank, you see where the money's carved up. Yeah. And for those that don't want to go through this whole you know, money system and blah, 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 you have created a PFP, a profit per, uh, first professional, correct? Right. Right. So, so it's kind of like, a, like the gym. Like, you know, if you go to the gym, there, there's a couple options. You decide I'm going to get fit. You start going to the gym. You try to exercise yourself. But if you aren't, you know, familiar with it or or haven't done it before, you may actually do bad exercises, wrong forms. You may injure yourself. So then, the second step is you can get an accountability partner and some profit first uh, advocates find another business owner that's doing it, and that's a wonderful thing because uh, now you have an accountability partner that says, "Hey, let's go to the gym today. I know it's raining out, but let's go." And you're like, "Oh, mm-hmm. I didn't want to, but let's go." Mm-hmm. The problem, though, can be collusion. And collusion is where your friend says it's raining out and the other friend says, I know, I didn't want to go either. Do you want to get some donuts instead? And you're like, yeah, yeah, let's get some donuts. And now you're colluding on a behavior right. that's bad and it actually starts taking you far off track. Mm-hmm. The best is a trainer, like Shana Woods, because what a trainer is, is someone that you're paying. They're not emotionally attached to you. They are receiving a reward, your money, to mm-hmm. provide a service. So now if you don't show... They're calling you and say, hey, where are you today? I expected you here at the gym today. Um, they have worked with hundreds of other uh, people who are looking to get fit, so they know the proper exercises. They can script, say, don't start so fast. We have to build that muscle. Uh, we got to do certain stretches and certain moves so you don't get hurt and build your goals, your muscle mass or lean or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That's what our first professionals do. If you're serious about it and uh, you have the propensity not to do it right yourself, Maybe you want to hire this trainer that's been through it with hundreds of other people so they can walk you through the exercises, if you will, of profit first, safely, properly, and to achieve the goals you want. Yeah. Well, and I was also, uh, you know, Beachbody? Uh, like yeah, 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 yeah. So long story short, we actually got Tony, uh, Tony Horton on a previous podcast. Oh, no that we way. Were doing. Awesome. So that was, yeah, that was cool. That's um, the score. 
So that was neat. But so I, through that transition, I used to struggle with weight and then through that entire thing, I actually became a personal trainer myself. So, you know, to that end, uh, I completely hear what you're saying. And yes, getting a personal trainer or someone just to stay on top of your ass to make you do what you're supposed to is all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. And the funny thing is the trainer will come to you and say, oh, here's the little tweak. And, and it seems like the smallest thing, but greatest impact because they know the recipe for success and they know how to adjust it to your special requirements. You know, a lot of trainers, um, I've worked with a trainer too, di- you know, diet is so critical. Mm-hmm. Put out little sugars, do this. Small little things and wow, yeah. all of a sudden you start seeing this impact. Yeah, it's never, it's never the big stuff. It's always the little things. Little ones, yeah. <clears throat> all right, so 2008, toilet paper entrepreneur. You knock that out, you're just getting started. Pumpkin plan, let's take your business, let's turn it colossal, let's weed out the stuff. Profit first, let's take this business, make sure you pay yourself first, jump two years forward into 2016 and you got surge. So I'm, uh, I've got about two hours left to, to listen to it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a car drive and listening. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so that's the last one I got to read of your book. So for that one, that's really about time in the marketplace, right? Exactly. So the most common question around mar- so it's a marketing book and the most common question about marketing is how do I grow fast? How do I become an industry authority quickly mm-hmm. and with little effort? Um, you know, Coca-Cola does it, but they have a, Coca-Cola has a budget that none of us could ever touch. So how do we achieve that kind of colossal growth and market presence for our niche mm-hmm. without spending money? So as I researched it out, I found it's, it's about timing. And what I noticed is every niche, every community that we, we can potentially serve is always moving. It's always undulating. It's always under pressure. Uh, one classic example is uh, tra- travelers and taxis. You know, there was a movement of, uh, into Uber and, uh, and Lyft, and these programs have exploded and taxi drivers are going down. That's a shift in the market. So mm-hmm. we have to uh, see if we can anticipate these. And what I did is I found that surfers, of all things, are very good at this process. I've, I've never sur- actually surfed once uh, <laughs> for lessons, and, uh, okay. but I never really surfed professionally. But <laughs> I've watched these surfers, and what they do is they, they ride out into the waves and they start measuring sets. As these waves roll in, mm-hmm. they pick which one's the biggest and has the most rideability. Once they pick it, it's all about eyeing it, paddling in front of it, getting enough speed so that the wave actually carries you. Mm -hmm. So surge is the process of identify the niche you want to target first. Then look for the specific movement that's happening. Usually there's a downward pressure that causes an upward pressure. For example, Lyft and Uber, uh, there was this downward pressure on taxi cabs. They're they're kind of gross. They're inconvenient. Mm -hmm. You have to flag them down. There was an opportunity for call on demand from your smartphone. It causes this shift change and then Uber and Lyft exploded. I myself, uh, every book I write, I use myself as a guinea pig. I've tested out. I started a business and my niche I identified was accountants and bookkeepers. Mm -hmm. What's the movement? What's the pressure going on? And what's going on is accounting software is becoming so sophisticated that traditional accounting and bookkeeping is going away and people like Shana Woods are transitioning to a consulting model where they teach systems like Profit First. Right. I said, okay, the opportunity is to help accountants and bookkeepers become consultative. That's the shift. Once I spotted that wave, I started paddling in front of it. Mm-hmm. We're Profit First. I started a program for accountants and bookkeepers. And today we have over 400 accountants and bookkeepers that are teaching Profit First. Wow. So, Congratulations. Thank you. It's, it's overwhelmingly exciting because it, it serves a mission of mine, which is to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. I, I, it, it pains me to see entrepreneurs struggle. And mm-hmm. it's, it's Shana and 399 plus other folks that are, are <laughs> fixing this. Right. So Surge is pick your market, look for the movement, paddle in front of it, catch the wave of momentum. And if you're one of the early you know, people positioned in front of a movement, mm-hmm. that market will carry you all the way to the beach and up the road to the bank. Sure. 
Yeah. So, and, and I'm excited to get through the rest of it. Um, and I and actually, ironically enough, I got to your last book was one of the ones that had really caught my eye. So after 2016, yeah. you wrote Surge, uh, 2018 rolls around and you wind up writing Clockwork. Yeah. Um, and the biggest thing that I'm an advocate of is just automate, automate, automate yes. the system and let it run. Yes. Yes. And so it was interesting. So I, I wear a bracelet here. It's kind of cheesy, but, uh, just because I'm trying to look like a teenager, I think, but it says on there, it says, you can't really see it, but it says eradicate entrepreneurial poverty on this top bracelet. I love it. I could do it. I got it. Where can I buy one? Cause I got, I got to get one. Oh I yeah. Gotta I, get one. I, I got it on Etsy. I got it on Etsy. Okay. Word okay. There. So eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. And, um, what I did was, um, I, I realized that I thought entrepreneurial poverty was this gap of finance, meaning the world thinks you're successful because you started a business. They think you're a millionaire and you're on the beach, you know, throwing back Coronas or something. Mm -hmm. The reality is we're working our asses off and we're not making money. Um, so I thought that that gap was only financial poverty, but I found there's a more insidious poverty and it's time poverty. Entrepreneurs are so stuck in the hustle and grind, which I'm actually retaliating against those words because those words presume that it's the job of the entrepreneur to carry the business on our backs. And that's mm -hmm. not the job of entrepreneurs. The job of entrepreneurs is to have clarity on outcomes, design our business through automation, uh, labor, to achieve those outcomes as efficiently as possible. That's the role of an entrepreneur. It's an enabler of a team. It's a coordinator of a team. Mm -hmm. So the greatest form of poverty is that we're actually losing our life uh, working. You know, and listen, we're not in, in life to support a business. We're in business to support a life. So clockwork is all about the process of surgically extracting the owner from doing the work in the business and move mm -hmm. them to a designer of a business and enabling automation, technology, people, even customers to work collectively to achieve the outcome and the vision you have for the business. No, I love it. And, and it's taking your five books to be able to help me out with, you know, my goal. So you want to eradicate entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial poverty. Yeah, it's a tough question. <laughs> yeah. it's, like, it's like Mike Michalowicz. Yeah, I know, I know. You're going to Just for the record, guys, if you ever listen to Mike's book, he is just as much of a smart ass and funny as hell to listen oh, yeah. to on, on audio as he is right now. So if you're ever going to listen to an audio book and you listen to those ones that are just like drowning as hell and you're like, oh my God. Oh dude, yeah, I, I, I love to horse around. And, um, <laughs> it's funny. So I'll be at the studio and they're like, what are you doing? Like, that's not in the book. I'm like, I have to tell this now. And he tells it in like four different voices. So just- Oh yeah, right, right, I'll do voices. you're about to fall, yes. Oklahoma, how you doing? And the Australian one. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so my, my goal was that, you know, so I was trying to find, because I did the nine to five. That's what I was taught. Go to high school, get your graduate degree, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm trying to figure out, I'm like, you know, I don't want to work nine to five, man. If, I, if I'm going to live and I got one option to do this, I want to leverage my time as best as possible. I love it. So I looked into every method of making business I possibly could, right? So you got sales, you got yeah. blue collar, white collar, investing, mom and pop. Yeah. And maybe some network marketing. Outside of that, I'm like, what's the best way I can leverage my time? So I looked at online courses. So, okay. you know, there's a lot of uh, entrepreneurs that have great ideas. And I was like, well, you know, let's kind of put all that together. Mm -hmm. And if you can help people to create online courses, then whatever talent, skill, knowledge, ability you have, if you can turn that to a course, then you can do what you're talking about and you can leverage that. Just like um, a Tony Robbins uh, sure. uh, uh, personal power. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, what a great program, by the so, way. And you saw how it just skyrocketed, right? Yeah. 
So the idea is that if you have this and you want to share it with the world, uh, basically you'd come on and we have people just like your profit pers- uh, first professionals, which is why I love that concept yeah, yeah. Um, that will literally help you through the process to get this done. Yeah. Uh, and then that way you can generate that revenue on the side. So you're not having to slave to your business. Yeah. Those models are so smart. You know, these educational market models, because first of all, people need it, right? So there's a massive need for specialty education and, uh, Sad, I shouldn't say sadly, but the reality is the traditional educational markets, universities, adult education are failing us because they're too time consuming mm-hmm. and they can't keep up. So you go, you go to a college course on accounting today, you're learning stuff from like 15 years ago, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, because the curriculum has to build and so forth. The, an online course like yours, it can be so sharp, so current, so applicable and so accessible. So that's why those models are so great. Yeah. And they can learn from experts like you, right? So it's like, yeah. hey, I'm an entrepreneur. I want to learn what the hell I'm supposed to do. So you can go to one site, get six books. You read this. You can learn more in that than you will at four years at, an, at, a, at a university. It's true. Because they can pick your brain of a guy who's been doing this since he was 23 and, and get all that in one setting. Yeah, yeah. That's true. <clears throat> so they, they get through the first five books all the way up to 2018. And now you're launching your next one. So I believe it's called uh, Fix This Next, right? Fix That's This your- Next, yeah. All right, come on, come on, share it with us. We're so I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. Um, actually, I literally submitted chapter three of the book today. I mean, the whole book is outlined and ready to go. Awesome. And here's what I believe is the biggest problem that's facing entrepreneurs. The biggest problem facing entrepreneurs is they don't know the biggest problem that they're facing. Mm-hmm. What I mean is most entrepreneurs are going toward arbitrary things. They say, we need to amplify sales. We need to fix profit. We, we, you know, we, we need to have more impact on our, on our clients. And they start jumping around because it feels like it's the right option because it's the apparent option. But I found is there's always a singular, and it's always singular, most impactful choice or challenge that's in the business right now that needs to be resolved. And once we get that, it builds a foundation for the next level. Now, it's not always linear. We kind of jump around. So what I did was I I studied Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically, it said at any given time, uh, our our human needs, our biological system will adjust to meet a foundational need first. Only when it's addressed, like I can breathe oxygen, do we elevate to another level and say, okay, now I have oxygen and I'm breathing. I need, you know, food and water. Once I have that, then shelter and then ultimately belonging to a community and and feeling love and giving love. And it goes all the way up to self-actualization. But like, you know, if you're with on a a great day and you're feeling companionship and all of a sudden, you know, there's a fire, meaning lack of oxygen, your life is threatened. Now that date, it's important, but you both got to get the hell out of there. It's not like (laughs) you're going to keep the conversation going while you're burned to death. So we move up and down this model very quickly based upon, different things that are impacting us. Well, the thing about humanity is that's instinctually wired into us. I know <laughs> if I can't breathe or if I'm choking to death and I need you know, to get oxygen and dislodge that item in my throat. So that's instinctually wired in. The funny thing about business is business also has a hierarchy of needs. We need sales, but once you have sales, you need to actually figure out a profit formula and you mm-hmm. need to figure out business efficiency and impact and, and establish a legacy or permanence to the business. You need all those things. But we don't instinctually know which one we need now. We actually say we trust our gut. But since we're not biologically wired into our business, our gut is actually guiding us wrong. So in Fix This Next, I've developed a model that through, uh, it's just like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's mm-hmm. a triangular model. But very quickly through a, a set of questions, it will pinpoint where our biggest challenge is in the business in the moment. Then our job is to set out all efforts to resolve that challenge, open it up, st- strengthen that foundation, and start moving up the hierarchy again. 
I love it. Okay. So basically, again, another system for you to show people how to be successful at it. Yeah, that, that's what I do. And I have another book coming out after that. I'm, like, I'm, just, I'm hoping to get to a book every year and a half now. I've, I actually want to write 25 books and my heart's starting to race because I don't have enough time in my life to finish these <laughs> if, I, if I don't have enough, a fast enough pace. So I got to start turning these out. There, there's, I, think, I think entrepreneurs deserve a compendium of simple systems mm-hmm. that address very specific needs. And so that's what I'm trying to do with all these books. I love it. So for the fix this next, are you looking to do a similar kind of model? It's like a profit first, or is this going to be just one addition to the the library of books? That's a great question. So uh, I'm not going to do a similar model to profit first. Um, I'm just going to, this is, I call the hub book. This is the story. Is so easy in finding where your problems. That the first step of business coaching is we're going to go through this model, pinpoint problem. Then me, as your business coach, will walk you through the rest of, of the resolution now to this challenge that we've identified. But I'm I'm not looking to certify business coaches. I just want business coaches to embrace it. So uh, that's what I'm doing. Okay. Um, so if I can kind of backtrack for for two seconds, there were there were two takeaways that I loved, and, and maybe we can kind of roll into this as we uh, t- we top it off. Yeah. Um, so for your toilet paper entrepreneur, I loved it. So you had five things that you need to do to succeed at anything. Do you remember what they? Do you no. remember what they were? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you made the set me through this. It's been so long. That's all right. That's all right. Yeah. Um, so number one, determine what you want. Oh right, right. So here's the here's the funny thing is most of us determine what the client wants before we consider ourselves. And that's a mistake, major mistake. There's this concept called the MVP, the minimum viable product, which mm-hmm. is a great concept, but it goes awry. We, we look at our a customer and say, what do you want? And the customer says, well, not what you're doing now. And we shift and say, do you want this? And they say, no, shift again. Say, do you want this right closer? And you shift again and they say, that's it. That's what I want. Mm-hmm. The problem is we shift our business, but we disregard what we want. I know people that have, pivoted their business into a business they hate. There's no joy there. That is a, I don't care how much money you make, it won't bring you joy. It's a miserable business. Mm-hmm. So instead of pivoting, we need to do what I call alignment. And alignment is, yes, we must serve the customer's needs, otherwise they won't buy, but we also must serve our own needs, what drives joy for us. So that's why the first question is, what do you want? We have to be attuned to that. I love it. Yeah. And then, uh, and then you had the other four right behind it. You said, you said set an enabling belief and it's all about mindset. Yeah. Um, commit focus and attention to your goals. Yeah. Number three, uh, take the most obvious actions to achieve that goal and then monitor your progress and adjust your actions to, to achieve the ultimate goal and then really make it happen. So yeah. And that last step of monitoring is also something that so many have missed on, you know, we define the goal. Here's what I want my business to be like. And then it just is arbitrary. You know, we need to measure all the elements of our business. And listen, I don't want to get overwhelmed with measurement. At first we start broader and broader, but if you want to pinpoint what's working and not working in your business, you'll mm-hmm. only know if you measure it. I, I know people that said, oh, I'm running Facebook ads and I'm like, oh, how's it working for you? Like, I don't know. We got some more leads. I'm like, you don't know, <laughs> you know, you don't know the exact dollar spend in return. Yeah. And, and like, oh, we did a mailer. You know, we did, no one does mailers anymore. So we decided to do an old school mailer. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, how many people responded? Oh, I don't know. We, we, we got more people visiting our website. I'm like, Oh my God, all these different things. And it's not just in marketing, all these different elements. If we want to improve it, we need to first measure it. Right. So, you know, if, I think if you're struggling, there were, there was another one, there was three tasks to get off your ass and I'll throw these, uh, I'll throw these out and then we'll, we'll kind of wrap you up. So first, what excuses are you nursing? So it, it was, you know, I was like, okay, well, what am I sitting here? What am I throwing out there? Reasons why I can't get shit done at the end yeah, of the day. Yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, so excuses, <laughs> I even put in the book, you know, excuses are like assholes. Everyone has Ooh. one and they all, they stink. all stink. And they all stink, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's the reality. Um, it is very easy to justify and dissuade ourselves. It's funny. People will say, I am, I'm frustrated by all the naysayers around me. And yet the biggest naysayer is ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we just need to punch ourselves in the naysayer face, if you will, mm -hmm. and say, what if, what if the polar opposite was the truth? Why am I choosing the negative to be the truth? Why not choose the polar opposite? And then we'll start to align with that accordingly. Yeah. And then, uh, absolutely. And then number two is act as if, and number three is, uh, find a trustworthy ass kicking friend to help you stay on track. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is the best thing, you know, a true friend does keep you on track, uh, both through the good and the ugly. So I, I recently, uh, had a quick, a struggle in my, in my business and I had uh, a couple of friends stand up to me and say, Mike, that you're, you're behaving inconsistently with who we know you to be. Mm -hmm. Fix this. And so friends will even talk you through the ugly parts of your business. That's the key. Is that, is that your man cave guys? The guys that you talk about when you, uh, all keep yeah, each this other case aligned? it wasn't my man cave guys, but it's funny. I just had a dinner with one of them last night. Oh, did you? Guys that do it. But I, I've surrounded myself with, with quite a few people that I believe truly be trusted friends because I am, I believe extraordinary friends to them and they reciprocated in being the same for me. I love it. Um, all right, guys. Well, look, I, I know we're going to wrap the night. I hope you guys got a ton of value out of this. Uh, please, please, please. We are going to put links to everything that Mike has uh, especially your new book. By the way, fix this next. Is there an ETA on when they can expect that? Yeah, it's coming out uh, end of Q1 in 2020. So it isn't, it isn't even available for pre-order yet. Okay. Um, but it probably will be within about a month or two of today. Awesome. Well, that's something uh, definitely exciting. Look, if you guys can, please, I'd highly recommend get all five books, look into a profit uh, professional. If you get a chance, uh, you know, feel free to shoot me a message and, and I'll give you any insight I can for how it's working for my business. Uh, Mike, in the meantime, if folks want to connect with you for Facebook, uh, is there a specific page that you'd like for them to go to? Yeah, I do have a Mike Michalowicz fan page. So it, you can spell Mike. If you can spell Michalowicz, it's a miracle. If you don't know how, <laughs> go on Google and type in the word Mike and then space M-I-C. So Mike Mick, you type it in, Google will fill in Michalowicz for you. It's the longest, most Polish name you'll see. And then you can find me on Facebook that way. Okay. And then Instagram, I got you at Mike McCallowitz, yep. uh, Twitter, Mike McCallowitz, web, Mike McCallowitz. So there's a lot yeah. of McCallowitz. There's which, 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 Yeah, exactly. There's so many McCallowitz. And I think I'm the only Mike McCallowitz like ever. Like, I don't know how many people have this ridiculous name. So uh, once you figure out how to spell it, I'm pretty easy to find. Beautiful. Uh, all right, Mike, dude, pl true pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. You, uh, you got me stumbling at the end here, but it's, uh, it's fantastic. And like I said, I'm usually an eight o'clock at night bed kind of guy. Oh, I'm the same with me. Are you? Oh, we're past our bedtime then. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Brandon. I appreciate you. All right, buddy. Have a great night. Thank you. you Good night. Hey, it's Brendan, and thank you so much for listening to the Growing Entrepreneur Podcast. Look, if you enjoyed this episode and want more content just like this, do me a favor, hit the like and the subscribe button. That way I can create consistent content on a daily basis focused on what's important to you. Uh, also, leave a comment. I'll make sure to get back to it as soon as possible. I will see you on the next episode.